You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi everyone, Paul here, and just a quick message from me to let you know that if you are looking to improve the performance of your team, no matter whether it is a work, sporting, or community one, then we've developed some tools to help. On the website, you will find our Thriving Teams Diagnostic, which uses insights from the more than 200 great coaches we have interviewed to challenge you with a series of questions to help you understand how your team is performing. It's free and only takes a few minutes to complete. If you'd like to know more, you can check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. To me, being perfect is not about that scoreboard out there. This is a chance of lifetime. When you can understand the person, you can then work towards a common goal. We are all on the same team. Now you roll and do it to the best of your ability. Focus on the fundamentals. We've gone over time and time again. Your defense has got to be better. Leave no doubt tonight. Great moments are born from great opportunity. My name is Jim, and you're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast, where we interview great sporting coaches to try and find ideas and coaching advice that people can apply to the teams they lead. Our great coach for this episode is rugby's Dwayne Nestor. Dwayne is an Australian professional rugby coach, with over 14 years coaching elite-level rugby. He coached the Perth Spirit to a championship in 2016 and joined the coaching staff of the Wallaroos, the Australian women's international rugby team, in 2017, becoming their head coach in 2018. Outside of rugby, Dwayne is a strong advocate for the development of coaches and individuals through his organisation, Sisu Life, where he specialises in the mental development of athletes and professionals in creating high-performance mindsets. For more details, you will find a link in the episode notes. Dwayne was just brilliant. He was super generous with his time. There were so many lessons to take from his words, but for me, a few of the highlights are his insights in creating a suit of armour to protect yourself against self-doubt 
by doing the hard work in training and preparation, getting the very best out of his players to execute consistently under pressure, and that after so many years of elite coaching, he can still be surprised by the high levels of self-awareness in his playing group. It was a real pleasure having this conversation. We hope you enjoy it too. The Great Coaches Podcast. Dwayne Nesta, it is a real pleasure to chat with you. Where are you and what have you been up to today? Uh, well, sitting in beautiful, sunny Perth. Um, there's days like today in Perth that uh, I really do realise this is why I live in this city. So Perth, Australia, enjoying the sun and just doing a little bit of work. Player feedback, to be totally honest. I've been doing some player feedback to uh, some of the girls in the Wallaroos squad who have been playing club rugby last weekend. All right. I, that sounds very interesting as you prepare for you know, World Cup progression, I guess. Yeah, definitely. So we're in the process of waiting and seeing what happens with the current situation going around the world uh, and what test matches we'll be playing this year, but definitely long-term into next year is that, uh, that World Cup. Yeah, look, you recently commented about the, the current situation and, and mentioned that taking the positive out of what we are facing globally has provided a great opportunity for coaches to share knowledge that previously may not have so been easily obtained. What are the pieces of coaching advice that have been shared with you? Oh, God, there's been, it's been great. Like I, I sort of set up this little community uh, of rugby coaches and, and didn't know how it was going to go initially because you, you never really know when you go into something new. But just everything from coaching mindset through to the technical aspects of the game, the tactical aspects of the game, it's very rugby-focused. But uh, I think there's a lot of coaches out there who are willing to share their knowledge um, and it's a case of just pretty much asking uh, for them to share that knowledge and giving them a, a format to do it in and they're, they're willing to jump on board. So it's been fantastic in that respect that there's been a huge variety of topics that we've been discussing and uh and i love the perspective like and especially in a game like rugby it's a pretty complex game and you can look at it in many different ways so getting different coaches perspectives is really really important i think as for your own coaching development and if there have been a couple of them that have really struck you as you know that's really an interesting point of view yeah, like uh, there was one uh, one coach who's he's uh, he I don't know his exact background, but it must be in in um, exercise physiology or very much in anatomy. And I've been I threw a couple of ideas at him um, in terms of techniques that I wanted to look at from a rugby point of view, and and he came back with some some real detail on you know, like vectors on twisting and turning bodies and how to do it. So. Uh, the levers that we need to use and I'm going okay how do I practically uh, get that across to the players so it's it's been brilliant because it's made me think and that once again it's a different perspective getting getting almost a scientist's perspective on you know torque and and rotational forces and how you generate that with you know a, a player's legs and how you you know, have to actually rotate their body to get them into a position that they don't want to be in so um, you know you it's probably provided us with time to be able to look at that sort of detail because normally we don't have that time to really get that sort of detail, I don't think. I want to unpack a little bit with you the sort of the difference that a coach makes. And when you were appointed in 2018, uh, Rugby Australia's Ben Whitaker described you as having a great rugby brain and that you would put your stamp on the Wallaroos moving forward. In, in your view, what is the main difference that a coach can make? 
I, I see this as sort of threefold. Um, for me, there's the how, the why, and the who um, in terms of that difference. And like the how is that that technical aspect. And you know, it's very flattering to hear that you know that's the sort of feedback that someone might give about me. But I'm very, I'm very much into the technical aspect of the game of rugby, and I think that was what I developed first in my coaching. So I'm, I'm a big proponent on that you know how, how what's the process how do you go through that process what techniques do you need to be um, successful and, and it's a case of looking at it in, in a how point of view is what is the most effective way to execute a technique and then how you actually relate that to the game which you know sort of leads you to the the why component so how does that technique then fit into the tactical area of the game and as a coach you can make a huge difference to your athletes by being able to very easily or put it into layman's terms for your players where you go this is the technique this is the context that you use it in a game and this is the outcome that you're sort of looking to get so if you get I think you know and some of the best coaches would do this that they would actually put that into the terms that suit each individual player um, so that they can the player can then go out and, and, and execute it and know exactly why they're executing it, how they're going to execute it and what outcome they're looking for. Um, and then that leads me to the third part is the who, like w- what relationship do you have with your athlete that you know what button, what buttons to push, you know, what to say to them, when, when to push them harder, when to pull back um, and, and be able to be very effective in your messaging to get the best out of your athlete. So, you know, there's, oh, oh, yeah, I sort of look at it threefold in that respect. And, and I think if you can, if a, if a coach can sort of do a really good job in all three areas, they can make a huge impact, a huge difference to, to an athlete or oh, an athlete's career because over time, you know, you can get through a hell of a lot of work with them. Yeah. And, and what do you think really the great coaches do differently with processes and techniques? As a coach, I, I've moved from, process to outcome uh, almost to the extreme. I think the best coaches are able to meet in the middle um, and to be able to understand the real detail of a process but be able to get an athlete to create an outcome that can be executed under the highest pressure on a consistent basis because that's what, that's what you want. Like I... I can't think of any sport where you don't have to, at the, at the world's best level, execute consistently under the most intense pressure. So the idea is to say, is your process good enough to be able to handle that pressure? Um, and are you able to get the outcome on a regular basis? Um, and I think uh, you know, the great coaches uh, are able to do that. They're able to sit in that spot where they get the best out of both worlds, process and outcome. You also have a, a strong view on the mental side of, of sport and coaching. Uh, you've, you've said that um, the next big frontier in performance is within the space of mental development and the mastering of a high performance mindset. How is mental development evolving the role of a coach? <laughs> this, is, this is where probably my um, biggest work-ons have been is building those relationships, as I said before, where you can create a relationship with an athlete where you know exactly what you need to say and when you need to say it 
um, exactly how you need to get a message across and, and, and how it's going to be perceived. Uh, and so that, that all comes into that, that mental side of, of, of performance. And like, you know, like you talk to any S&C coach and there are millions of them out there. They know so much. We've, we've worked out how well the body works and how to get the most out of it. But I reckon we've only just scratched the surface of what we can do from a mental performance point of view. So, and that, that intrigues me. It absolutely intrigues me how some athletes are able to block out the most, you know, the, the biggest distractions to create focus on their performance. And you sort of go, okay, what's the secret formula there? And the person who works out that secret formula, Jim, will be a, will be a very rich person, I think. So, you know, we've only scratched that surface. And I think, uh, you know, that the mental side or, or the mindset side is something that is going to evolve um, massively over the next few years. And, and I think it's it, it, the, the big word there is that, that evolution, you know, how we go about understanding our athletes, especially given the circumstances we're in now. So we've been forced to live through circumstances where people probably weren't ready for uh, the, the pressures that, you know, our life now has put on us. So we learn from that. We, we, we spent, you know, the last six months going, okay, you know, that, that, that saying now, what is the new norm? And is the new norm going to last? And is the new norm going to become the norm or are we going to go back to old ways? And, and when you look at that from a, a sporting point of view, there are implications to performance. How would you describe that is that's evolved your coaching philosophy and the values that you hold central to that? Do you know what? My values haven't changed. That's probably the one consistent thing that has, that has, you know, stayed very solid in its foundation. And that, and for me, it's respect. So it's earning respect. So the number one value for me is, is that earning respect. And, and it was funny, I had a conversation with a couple of my wallerers just the other day. They sort of said, well, what do you mean by respect? What's, what's respect? And, and they were expecting just a one line answer. And, you know, 35 minutes later, I'm still going on about all the elements of respect that, that I relate, you know, that value to. So, you know, it's, it's the respect from the opposition. It's the respect from everybody that you come in contact with and the general public. Um, and then it's the self-respect. So once again, you know, that comes back to, you know, your mental capacity and, and the mindset you have. Um, and, and, this is one of the tough things I think uh, a lot of athletes struggle with is they may be extremely competitive as an athlete and their behaviours drive them to be the very best they can be. And at times they'll alienate people um, because of it. And, and that can put people off and, and it, it can actually show, potentially sometimes show a disrespect. But I think if you know the athlete, and this is from a coaching point of view as well, is that, if you genuinely know the athlete, you appreciate the fact that they are highly competitive and that they're going to do things that may upset people. But if you understand that, you can then harness that energy um, in a positive way, as opposed to them being seen to be arrogant or over, you know, over the top in, in how they react or, or, or respond to other people. So, and like I see it within the Wallaroos, you know, there's one, there's one particular girl who's highly competitive, highly competitive, and, and she can arc up on the field when other people make mistakes and i just keep saying to her i don't want you to change your competitive nature do not think we're trying to do that all we want to do is harness that competitive nature to almost 
uh, influence other girls around you to have that competitive nature as well. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's taking the positives out of a situation where some people might perceive her behaviours to be, to be quite disrespectful. So, you know, and this is why my conversation about respect goes for 35 minutes, for 60 minutes, because you can just keep going on about, you know, those, those scenarios that you see every single day. Yeah, I've heard you speak about we're not going to disadvantage a player or punish a player, if you like, probably not the right word, but for, for effort. And that, that's the big message for us, especially in the Wall of Roos, is that say, if there's no effort, we'll come down hard. If you try something and you make a mistake, that's okay. Because making mistakes are good. You're learning from that experience. And this become really apparent, the power of this, when I coached uh, the Perth Spirit team uh, to the 2016 National Rugby Championship title. Like every single meeting, it was just a consistent message. Do not go into your shell. Try stuff. If you try it and it doesn't come off, try it again. If it's worthwhile doing, it'll come off in the end and it'll pay off for us. Um, and so, so, you know, I think the guys really cottoned on to that and they loved that idea because they weren't afraid to make errors. Mm. So what they did on the field, it got to the stage where they were playing just, they, they were playing really good rugby. They had really good structures. All that was in place, but they weren't, they weren't shackled by fear of mistakes. Um, and, and it reflected in the way they played. But once again, you go back to that mental side, that mindset side of things they were open to trying stuff and they weren't cloned off. So mentally they were happy. They were in a really good, um, you know, positive mindset. Um, and, it, and it sort of reflected in the day of the grand final. Like I, I during the day, I, I started to have, you know, like you get those little bits of doubt, the seed of doubt gets planted in the back of the mind. You go, oh, can we actually do this? And I didn't know what I was going to say to the boys when before the game, when we did the, the jersey presentation and that, which was a few hours before the game. And so I thought, oh, I'm just going to go down into the team room early. And I sit there and I watch and I just see them come in. And, and I did. I sat in the corner and I just watched the guys one by one come into the room. And as the room filled, I could like, like you could literally feel the confidence and uh, like the joy of them being there, fill the room, and and that you know you can almost cut it with a knife. Like you know people talk about oh there's tension in the room, you can cut it with a knife. Well, I, you could literally feel this confidence in the room. And, um, for me, it was like, wow, this has worked. We've actually given these guys the freedom to build this confidence based on you know, not worrying about making mistakes. Um, there's no fear in making mistakes. So, um, you know, and, and it's funny because that confidence you would think, oh, yeah, they went out and they, you know, they threw the ball around and everything was great, but it wasn't the case. Defence was the game. The defence was the thing that won the game and in the last 10 minutes was pretty dour. But I think just the confidence in each other and, and that, the joy of actually being on a field and playing for each other and with each other uh, allowed them to, you know, to win to win that game. So it was it was a good. Uh, it's like a good reflection of, you know, giving them that the ability to have that confidence and not be afraid. Dwayne, there's a couple of things I'd I'd like to um, speak to you about that you've just mentioned. Uh, one of them is about mindset. The Wallaroos are currently ranked six in the world. Uh, you've said, given time and opportunity, we can beat anyone on our day. How best? can a coach approach a mindset change that higher ranking signs are actually beatable? Do the work. 
do the work. Um, a, a lot of that confidence building and that belief system has to come from doing the work um, because if you don't do it and you know you haven't done it, once again, those seeds of doubt, they grow pretty quickly. Whereas I think if, if you sit there and you can genuinely say, we've covered all our bases, we, we have prepared really well, we know we can do A, B and C really well, then it, 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 creates, it creates a confidence that on, on any given day will allow you to overcome any obstacle or any opposition. Um, and, you know, like there is, there's, there's a tactical element to rugby and as I said before, it's a complex game and so there are many ways of winning and losing games of rugby. And I look at it from a coaching point of view as well is that we need to be the same as coaches. We need to cover all our bases. We need to know we've done the work and implanted, you know, what we need to, to put into the team. And then they pick up on that, the girls do the work, and then they can, they can sit in a room together and look at each other in the eye and go, we have done this. We've done what we need to do to win this game. And, and then, you know, I sort of said to the girls, you know, at the World Cup, it's a case of, we get through the round games and we make sure we're in the top four because once you get to finals footy uh, and you get to semi-finals and then you plan a final, anything can happen. And, uh, and you know, that, that's, that's sort of the way we're approaching it. Yeah, you've talked about creating uh, momentum uh, and, and using solid systems to, to ensure that the, the Wallaroos are, are, are stronger and that they're always moving forward. I want to come back a, a little bit when you were you were starting to talk about that transition from the success of the spirit and the words that we're, we're hearing coaches say a lot, actually selflessness and joy and these, these different ways to describe, if you like the, the journey and the culture of a, of a team, if a coach is coming into a team and they wanted to improve that culture, what, what are your tips on the first few things they should be doing? They've got to get to know the players. They've got to, they've got to, be able to understand the dynamic of the group, especially especially if the group is well established. And I think this is something that, as a as a new coach into a into a squad, you've got to be able to pick up really quickly. And if you can't pick it up, you need to identify who else can pick it up for you and, and have those discussions around that. Because if you don't establish where the dynamic is, how do you know? what to build on and, and, and how to build it. So, you know, the, I reckon the first thing is, is to get to know the players, understand where they're at and how they think. And then like ask, ask them the questions and you know, is, is the, is the direction that the team has been on? Is, is that the right direction and make them self-assess a little bit? Um, because as a new coach, you know, some new coaches come in, they go, right, I, I want to make a massive big statement and I want to put, you know, a, a heap of changes in place. And that might work um, for a particular dynamic of a team. Whereas you, you might need to be another coach who comes in and goes, do you know what? I'm going to let this ride for three months before I actually make any changes. And that might work for the dynamic of the team. Um, and, and so it's, it's an awareness of where the team's at, you know, in, in their, their own development stages um, and being able to react to that, I think. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Do you have a method for the way you evaluate players, either on or and off the field in the games? It's it's actually funny to ask that question because uh, it wasn't that long ago when we got into the COVID situation and we were all separate and we were doing individualized um, programs. Um, I started to ask random questions. I thought, okay, if I'm going to, if I really want to get to know my players as best I can, yes, I'll be asking them footy questions and I'll ask them about their technical understanding, tactical understanding, but I'm going to throw out some random questions. So, you know, I would I would throw out questions like, you know. Who who made you angry today, and why did they make you angry? Um, you know, who's who's been who's been a hero of yours and uh, over the years, and then you, and then you dig dig deeper and say why are they a hero, and and then how did that impact you? And yeah, so I I, I went through a sort of stage, and I've, I've I've sort of run out of you know left field questions, I think, because of you know you got so many players to ask, but. Um, some of the questions created some of the best discussions I've had with any players over, geez, what's it been? Like, you know, 15 years of coaching, you know, elite players on, on the pathway. Yeah, some of the rant, most left of centre questions have created the best discussions. And, and uh, it's interesting. Like, people's backstories and, and things like that just cre- cre- allow you to create that relationship where, do you know what? I know some deep stuff about you, and uh, and that brings you closer together with them. And the other thing too is like sharing my life as well, because and I think as a head coach, sometimes you can you can you can get lonely because nobody wants to talk to you. Really, none of the players really want to talk to you because they think every time they talk to you, they're going to get in trouble. <laughs> um, so you're trying to break down that barrier as, as well as a big one in terms of the relationship. So, um, you know, I, I sort of joke about when I went to the 2017 World Cup as an assistant coach with the Wallaroos, had a ball because, uh, you know, I was as an assistant coach and all care, no responsibility. Like the girls loved me because I was this new person that was interesting and they wanted to know about me and that. Whereas when you're head coach, yeah, they sort of, they can jam up a little bit, but, so it's a, and that's a good challenge because it's a challenge for me to then break down those barriers. When do you think it's important for coaches to step back? Uh, in, a, in, a, in a team environment, like I think you need to, as a coach, you need to step back once the team itself takes ownership. Once you've got the fundamentals in place and, and all your principles in place, then you sort of say, okay, this is yours now. Um, and, and when they take that over, you can sort of you step back, and then you just 
it's almost like you take on the role of directing or facilitating as opposed to you know what people would genuinely think coaching. And I think the other to- I think the other time that you should really step back a little bit is when they win, um, because I look at it and I say, yeah, like we're all we're all part of a team and we all input into the team and but they're the ones who are doing it on the field for 80 minutes and they're putting their the you know their heart and soul in that for 80 minutes so i think there's an there is an element that when you win yes we all celebrate but there there needs to be that little bit of time where the team itself comes together and you go there you go there's the limelight go and get it um the reverse side of that i think is that as a coach you need to step forward when it doesn't go so well because I think you need to protect the players uh, sometimes, um, you know, from media and, and, and from, you know, the, the, those pressures because you don't want to create undue, you know, self-doubt. I mean, you, you want to try and give them some sort of protection. So working out when to, when to go forward and, and take, some, take some shots yourself um, and then when to step back, it's, it's, it's interesting. And it's also, that's once again, that's a learning process, isn't it? As a coach. You've, you've mentioned self-doubt a couple of times uh, today. What are your top tips in dealing with self-doubt? <laughs> I, go, I go back to that, do the work, like really do the work because doing the work builds the confidence. And I look at self-confidence as it's like a, it's like a suit of armor, like a chain mail armor. You know, when you start putting that chain mail together, and you're trying to knit it together, it's pretty loose. So any arrows that come in, which I, I relate to as self-doubt, they get through the armour and they pierce you and it hurts. But the more sessions you do, every single session you do and you take, you, you take the learning out of each session, it just knits that armour closer and closer and it becomes denser and denser and you get to the point where, you know, you're wearing this suit that doesn't allow you to have that self-doubt. And, and I think, you know, you, you look at some of the athletes in the world who, you know, they, they portray, sometimes they might, might portray that arrogance, uh, which, which can literally just be supreme confidence. And that's powerful. Like in terms of performance and, and from a mindset point of view, that supreme confidence that you've done the work and you know you can be successful in whatever you're about to do, that's a powerful, powerful motivator and a powerful, powerful tool for an athlete. Talking about uh, performance a little bit, 2019, you played the Black Ferns. You commented after the first game that we allowed, we just allowed ourselves to get bullied. Uh, mm. Things just didn't happen. And the result of the second game in New Zealand also went in favour of the Black Ferns. What advice would you have for coaches who are looking to refocus their teams when performance is below expectations? I think you go back to like to your fundamentals. I think it's, it's easy to say, oh, we need to change everything, but you don't need to change everything. You just need to go back and say, what did we set ourselves up to do? How well did we do that? Do we need to tweak something to make the difference? Or do we just need to go back and say, okay, these are the, the four pillars of our game. Where did, we, where did we slip up? What could we do to be better in, in each of those pillars? And make those, you know, those tweaks because if, if you go, okay, let's throw everything out and start again, what confidence does that build in the players? What does that say to the players when, when the people who are meant to be making these really clever decisions about how we're going to play the game, 
throwing it out and then bringing something new in. So I think it's a case of persevering and saying, you know, what did we do well? What can we tweak? What do we need to work on to, to make that difference? And, you know, for, for us, it was, a, it was a case of us being bullied in that first game, definitely. We, we came out and, you know, we'd done all our preparation based on what we thought we needed to do. But we probably didn't take into account that, you know, they were going to target the ball in our arms and they stripped the ball. Like we had eight times we were stripped with the ball. So you just go, okay, that's an easy fix for us because for me, that's a mindset thing for everybody to go into the game to say, we value the ball. If we value the ball, we don't give it up. It doesn't get stripped from us. Easy fix. You don't have to go back and go, oh, God, we've got to change our whole game. No, no, we just, we just have to check, you know, tweak our mindset around how we value the ball. Um, so, you know, I, I would sort of say don't panic. Have faith in what you've done. You've built a certain amount of confidence in building your game. Just tweak it a little bit. And, those, and, and talk to the players about the tweaks uh, adding to the game, adding to your game. Um, you know, you don't, have, you don't have to be negative in terms of saying, oh, we've got to take stuff away. No, no, we're just going to tweak this so we can add to our game and our game's going to get better because of that. You, you also uh, are brave at making selection choices too with your squads. You, you're not frightened to take players out of the starting lineup, nor you, you're also very brave in starting not just debutants but multiple debutants at the, <laughs> at the same time. When you're making those selections and you're thinking about the composition of the team, how do you approach communication with players, key players actually sometimes, that aren't selected to play? I, I think you've got to be honest, um, but you've got to be honest in a way that uh, takes into account how they'll receive the news. So, we're tr- and we've tried a few different things in terms of selection meetings we, we've experimented with how we do it to the point where what time of day we actually have the meetings with players. Um, so going forward, like we, we'll, we'll be giving our players options to either have selection meetings just before they go to bed or selection meetings as, as they get up in the morning so that it, it, it allows them to have a preferred way of dealing with this, that selection, whether it's, you know, exultation that they've been selected or whether it's, you know, disappointment that they haven't been selected. So we're sort of looking at individualising how a player might take the news. And then also uh, situations where, so what, what I did was I actually surveyed our staff to find out who had, who were the most compassionate staff because, it, it, once again, that's a work on for me. I'm probably the lowest on the list. Um, so we will actually have uh, one of the more compassionate staff members in the selection, the selection meeting so that the players, because the players, may, they may not obviously know it, but they'll sense who's in the room um, and they'll, they'll, I think we, we're, we're hoping that they'll appreciate that. So there's an honesty component where you've got to tell them exactly how it is um, and then, but you've got to be aware of how, they're going to take that news and the perception that they're going to have of that news. And like, and I'm sure there'd be many a coach would say, once you tell a player they've been dropped, everything else that comes out of your mouth is forgotten. It's because they've gone straight to an emotional state and obviously cognitive learning goes, or cognitive, cognitive understanding goes out the window. So 
what we do, like we, we've allowed players to record selection meetings so that they can actually go back and listen to the feedback. You know, you can, you can provide written feedback for them. Um, we've also toyed with the idea of actually allowing another player to come in to the meeting with, with a particular player if they choose so that they have somebody else who actually hears the words from the coaches. So, you know, we're, we're toying with different ways of actually providing that selection so that it is individualised and that it works best for each player. Because it's all about getting the best out of them. So, you know, if we're giving someone uh, some disappointing news and they have to then turn around in, you know, the next morning or within a few hours and perform at a training session, it's a tough ask on anybody. But if we can, if we can eliminate a lot of negative emotions and, and feelings around going to that training session, then that's going to allow the team to perform better. We, we hear a lot of coaches talking about um, managing disruptive peer pressure um, and, and the effects of, of individuals um, that influence that uh, within a squad. You also earlier mentioned, you know, sometimes your players can alienate themselves in, in certain circumstances. How have you managed to influence the disruptive peer pressures from within a team? I reckon the best way to do that is ask questions. I, I you know, you sort of, like I joke a little bit about it because I say, you know, by asking them the right questions, they almost incriminate themselves. Um, you know, they, they get to the point where sometimes you'll ask them a question and they'll go to answer and there's a light bulb moment and they go, oh, no, he's got me. If I answer this honestly, I'm going to, it's going to reveal, you know, some sort of, you know, bad behaviour or something. So I think asking questions and asking the right questions is probably a good way of doing it. But you've got to, like all of us, like I'm 47 years old and I'm still trying to work out who the hell I am. So, you know, we've, we've got 20-year-olds or well, we've even got 30-year-olds who, you know, they've got to work out who they, are, who they are. So self-awareness comes into place. And once again, you've got to individualise it because here's a really good example. We're getting the players to do their, their reviews from their club matches on the weekend. We had a 17-year-old provide us with... I would suggest one of the best individual performance reviews um, that we've had in a long time. And she's, only, she's fresh into the squad, 17 years of age, but so self-aware of her, you know, what she's doing on the rugby field. Oh, like I was blown away by it. And, and then, then, you know, we have, we have other players who are 30 years old who are still trying to work through that process. So, um, you know, there's, there's, there's an element of self-awareness that comes into play as well. You mentioned your community of coaches and earlier this year you participated in a coaches workshop sharing your expertise with upcoming coaches to, to better empower youth. You also generously give your time to groups working with disadvantaged kids in WA. What tips do you have for coaches of people that are working with diverse age, genders and ethnicities? Accept them. Um, and take out what they bring. Um, and this, this is one of the things I've become quite aware of. And like, you know, I love reading and, and, and learning, uh, about coaching and, and what you can do, but diverse thinking, you know, it's sort of, it's a bit of a buzzword at the moment, but it's a buzzword for a reason because as I said before, the perspectives that you can get, not only from other coaches, but in that environment, if you're working with a diverse group of athletes, their perspectives can open up your, your eyes so much. And 
we're trying to empower our girls to be confident to give their perspective on the game because if they can, if they're out on the field and they see stuff or they feel stuff and they go, hang on, what we're doing doesn't work, and they can come back to us and say, well, the way I look at it, I reckon if we do this, we'll be better off. Then, like I would love that situation if our girls were doing that on a regular basis. So, you know, if you, if you're coaching, you know, different age groups or or, or different ethnicity or, or whatever. Um, embrace the fact that these people are going to bring a different view and try and tap into those views to, to increase the performance of that team. Like very much so. And I, and I think that's where sometimes at the highest level, having that diversity of thought um, allows you to see so many curveballs that, you know, if, if, if you've got a homogenous group of, of co- like coaches, like a, a little bit, a, a bit of our coaching uh, staff worries me because we're we're pretty similar. Um, Peter, Peter and Matthew, the two two assistant coaches, they're they're great, they're brilliant in, in their own right. But part of me goes, okay, you know, do we need a different perspective? So, and that's where I'll, I'll I'll you know tap into other people's views on what we do. Like it's funny because I've actually said to some club coaches, if you were Wallaroo's coach, what would you do? What oh, I don't know. What, what would you do? <laughs> they're sort of a bit stumped. They go, mate, if you don't know what you want to do, what are you doing coaching the team? But it, it's not because I don't know. It's because I want a different perspective. So, um, yeah, you know, like embrace that. Embrace that, those, those variety of views. You talked about reading. You talked about listening to the, the views of, of others. Are there any other particular resources that you have found helpful as a coach? I am, like I said, like I read a lot. Um, and I just sort of read some random stuff. So, uh, you know, like I, I like just read oh, not, not a little while ago, like Rebel Ideas by Matthew Syed, just to get some different, different thinking. Um, another book I've read is Freakonomics um, by Stephen Levitt and uh, Stephen Dubner, just to see the world in a different way. And I think, you know, you, you read that stuff and you're entertained uh, by it, but you also it opens up your mind to go, how else can I look at the game of rugby? How else can I look at uh, how our team functions? Is my perspective or my, the lens that I'm looking through a good lens? Can I look through a different lens and see something completely different? Um, and that really interests me. So, you know, a couple of books like that. I reckon the best resources uh, I, I've tapped into have been other coaches like – I'm, I'm, I'm not a great person to instigate those conversations, but once I'm in those conversations, you can't stop me. I think people just go, whoa, mate, chill out, cool down. <laughs> cool down. But I, I, get, I, I, I do get really engaged sometimes in those conversations around coaching and, and rugby. It takes me a little bit of time to get there, but once I'm there, I, I go nuts. So I need to be controlled at those, at those points in time. But, uh, you know, other, other coaches – have been, especially lately with the sharing of the knowledge, have been really, really great resources, really good resources. Dwayne, this is my last question today. You're obviously incredibly passionate about the success of the Wallaroos. You've described representing Australia as a privilege to treasure um, and that the game enables the building of positive life experiences with players. You're equally as passionate about the success of women's rugby, both domestically and internationally. What legacy do you believe you are leaving as a coach? Do you know what? I, I, 
I prefer to let other people talk about the legacy and, but you know, like I, th- I think it comes back to that value of respect. Like I'd like to think I, everyone that I come into contact with, I've had an impact on how they earn respect from other people, but how they actually respect themselves. So that's probably one thing I'd like to think I've left with any athlete that I've worked with, but yeah, you sort of, I, I'm, yeah, I, I want to leave a really positive legacy, but I'll let other people determine what that legacy actually is, and, and you know, hope, hopefully, it's a, a it's a it's a positive one sort of thing. I go, and, and there's there's a there's another question I've sort of asked players. You know, when you die, what do you want people to say about you at your at your funeral? Um, and, it, and it creates an interesting interesting conversation around that. So, um, but yeah, if I had to put it in one word, it'd be respect. But uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully people. That'd be the word that they might describe me as when uh, when I'm gone. Dwayne, it really has been a true pleasure speaking with you today. And like rugby fans all over the world, we eagerly await the Women's Rugby World Cup in 2021. And I really do wish you and the entire Wallaroo squad of coaches and players all the very, very best. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Jim. Cheers, man. It's been great. The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi everyone, it's Paul here, and you have been listening to our discussion with Dwayne Nestor, the coach of the Wallaroos, who are also known as the Australian Women's Rugby Union team. The key highlights for me were the way he talked about respect in the context of the individual, the team and society, his views on mindset and how it relates to how you value the ball, and the way he lets the individual players choose the time of day for their selection meetings with him. I hope you enjoyed it as much as Jim and I did. In our next episode, we will be speaking to Lisa Alexander, the legendary coach of the Australian netball team, the Diamonds. Here is a sneak peek. I missed out on the team, so I I would have walked over, bought broken glass to get in the Australian team. So to hear that athletes weren't enjoying it was a real shock to me. So I knew that there was something that needed fixing and just in that first six months when I took over the team I realised that there were some clicks, there was some entitlement and there was a need to work on the culture and that's where the Sisters in Arms trademark came out of. And just before we leave, if you know a great coach who has a unique story to share then we would love to hear from you. Please contact us using the details in the show notes. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.